In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello and welcome to another episode of Business Reinvention. I am Nancy Lynn. This program is sponsored by Change Agent SS Coaching and Consulting Services. Well, in the last few months, I've shared with you new trends and business um, lessons from innovative companies that you can leverage to grow your business. But no strategy will succeed without the right people. And as Jim Collins pointed out in his best-selling book, Good to Great, having great, um, top talent is one of the most important factors for a company's success. But even in today's slow job market where there's a huge number of highly skilled workers looking for employment, I still hear from a lot of companies about how difficult it is to find great talent. And the challenge becomes even more complex as more and more companies expand into international markets. So what's the missing link here? And what can companies do differently to discover exceptional talent out there that can help them maintain competitiveness in the fast-changing market? Well, George Anders, who was the top feature writer for the Wall Street Journal for many years, has been following talent scouts in different industries, trying to find the answer to this question. He recently published a new book, The Rare Find, in which he shares his insight, and he is here with us today. Later on the show, we'll speak with another guest about companies' growing need for global leaders. But first, let's welcome George to the show. Thank you for joining us today, George. Thank you. Glad to be on the program. Uh, well, first of all, I want to tell you that I really enjoyed your book, and it covers um, leaders in a wide range of sectors. Um, how long did it take you to research and write up the book? So the pure time on the book was about two and a half years, but in some ways I've been working on this book for decades. That uh, During my time at the Wall Street Journal, I would get to know different industries, healthcare, finance, technology, and as different as they all were in their business demands, uh, what I discovered was they were all facing the same challenge of mm. could we get uh, uniquely good people in. And I always talked to them about what are your ways of hiring? How do you identify talent? And then I harvested a lot of those insights to become the book, The Rare Find. Great. Um, and before we talk about how to find exceptional talent, let's talk about the people who are really great at it. Um, when I first started reading your book, I wanted to find out what the savvy talent judges did to find great talent. But as I read on, the thing that I found most fascinating was the talent scouts themselves and who they were as people and leaders. And one of the things I noticed about them is that they were great students of success. Um, is that what you found, and what other qualities did you notice in them? Yes, absolutely. And there's a, a strong element of discernment, uh, of curiosity, mm. always wanting to learn more about people, uh, judgment, an ability to know when to trust your own first impressions, when your instincts are right, and when to step back a bit. That I, I think sometimes we leap to conclusions too quickly. There's still more that we need to learn about people. Mm. But I would say curiosity was the, the greatest virtue among them. They were always looking for new insights, new pathways. They tended to be interested in each other, too, that I remember being inside an ad agency, and they were very interested in how the military picked talent. Or when I visited Google, they were very interested in how Teach for America picked talent. And um, they they all speak um, slightly different languages, but really they're all just dialects of the same language. 
Well, so sounds like you said they're all very curious, very open-minded, and great learners. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when companies say that they can't find right um, candidates, um, they seem to be this assumption that there aren't enough talented people out there to go around. And uh, I think what's very interesting is that it, is that you turned um, the spotlight back on the recruiters and highlight the importance of how companies must think differently and act differently in order to find the great talent that's already out there waiting for them. To de- um, waiting to be discovered. And I think to find great talent, um, you must first know what it takes to succeed in the job and the characters that you need to look for. Um, and not too long ago, we had so-called insanity, and overnight um, the media and fans quote-unquote discovered Geraldine Lin, and everybody was talking about you know, how other coaches had passed him up. And in your book, you also talked about those people who discovered you know, J.K. Rowling and Taylor Swift. What do great talent scouts look for that is different from a typical recruiter? So I actually have two categories in the book that I talk about at length. Uh, One is candidates with jagged resumes. The other is talent that whispers. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's a lot more great talent out there than people realize and that often the original specifications for the talent hunt are drawn much too narrowly or include an excess of so-called requirements that really shouldn't be requirements at all that when I look at some of the most successful hires, Uh uh, they've involved narrowing it down to just two or three things that are absolutely crucial. Um, People who are resilient, people who have a a keen desire to get to the frontier, people who are quick learners, and they tend to be more relaxed about the specific credentials and amount of experience that people need. Uh, What we're really looking for is people who can grow on the job, people who can accomplish more each year, and in that sense, being a quick learner, being someone with high potential is a strength in itself rather than finding someone who has done every aspect of that job before. I'm glad you brought up Jeremy Lin because if you go and look at the statistics the year before when he was a bench player for the Golden State Warriors, he had more steals per minute than any other guard in the NBA. Hmm. He was only playing for six minutes, eight minutes at the end, but he has incredibly quick hands. He has a great sense of where the ball's headed next. And you realized if he was on the court for 36 minutes, he would be the league leader in steals. So there was that first glimmer of, of skill there. But uh, for whatever reason, people didn't want to give him a shot at playing full-time, and they couldn't fully see what he did. But uh, ultimately, the New York Knicks did take a chance on him and succeeded. But I think if people look for one or two things that uh, newcomers can do well and match those up very closely with the requirements of the job, they'll be surprised how many people can excel uh, on the job and turn in the best years of their career. Mm. And it's not the same for, you know, talent that whispers as well? So talent that whispers is really a way of getting at people that you wouldn't even think about originally. Mm. The showcase example I give in the book involves Evan Priestley, who was a very gifted computer programmer in the state of Maine, who ended up going to work for Facebook and doing some great stuff for them. But... uh, Ordinarily, if you're Facebook, would you hire from uh, three time zones away? Not very much. If you did, you'd only hire people who went to MIT or Harvard or other elite schools. Would you at the very least insist that someone had graduated from college? Yes. Uh, And Evan flunked all of those requirements. Uh, He had dropped out of college because it was too easy. It wasn't challenging him. And he ended up working in a web design shop in Portland, Maine, And that job wasn't challenging him either. So he was online during office hours. He'd finished everything he needed to do. And he was looking for challenging computer puzzles. And Facebook at the time had a recruiting system that a 
allowed people to pick up a puzzle from any time zone, anywhere, without filling out a formal application and just say, I can write computer code on really tricky problems and come up with great solutions. And that's what he did, and his solution showed up at Facebook headquarters, and they talked to him on the phone and said, we want you to come out here. And they ended up getting great talent that way. But you need an ability to look not just at the top graduates of the top universities, but also at that unlikely person who doesn't have a perfect transcript, but who has some remarkable skills that are there if you just know how to draw them out. Well, that's a lot of great insight, and, and this is a great example of how companies can be very creative to uncover qualities and skills in candidates that you don't usually learn about in a conventional interview process. And I think by the way of designing a little game for people to solve, they're also able to, like you said, tap um, into talent in unexpected places. And it looks like great talent scouts look for capacity to learn, to excel, rather than experience that they already demonstrated. Yeah, and in fact, you can go to Jim Collins' Good to Great, and he says the companies that really achieved greatness were willing to compromise on experience. They didn't compromise on character. Mm. And their thinking is you can teach people new skills. Uh, you know, I saw this quite literally in the, the military where they pick soldiers without asking them to fire a rifle. And their contention is you can learn to be a good shooter. If you spend enough afternoons on the range, uh, you will develop the accuracy you need. But there's a tenacity that we need in you, and that we can't teach. Either you have this ability to work through difficult times or you don't. So uh, hiring for, you know, my, my old employer, Facebook, uh, Fast Company, had this rule, uh, hire for attitude, train for skill. Mm. And for yeah. certain kinds of jobs, it works very well. Very well said. Um, and so now that we're talking about Facebook, um, let's talk about social media because more and more recruiters are using that for a talent search. What do you think about social recruiting? I think there's tremendous potential here. And in fact, uh, The Rare Find now has a sequel coming out this week. It's an ebook called Becoming the Rare Find, mm-hmm. uh, How Jagged Resumes Lead to Great Jobs. Uh-huh. Anyone who wants to can track it down on Kindle or iTunes or the Nook. And one of the points I make there is that uh, social media can be a place where you can show your portfolio of work uh, if you're in a field that involves performance or some element of a visual arts portfolio. Uh, there's no better place to start than putting up a Pinterest page that has all of your material. If you're uh, in a field that involves something that you can construct or even just a rapport with people, something like sales, YouTube is an avenue you should think about. And if people are going to search for you on social media, which they will, uh, why not arrange things so that the first thing or two they find is something that really shows your strengths? Uh, If you can make a persuasive case for anything, if you're uh, thinking of a job in sales, if you're thinking of a job in broadcasting, and there's a two- or three-minute clip of you uh, making an engaging presentation on any subject, someone sees that and goes, you know what, that's someone who could work well for us. Great suggestion. Um, Looks like we have to take a break. Um, You're listening to Business Reinvention on Voice America. Um, Please stay tuned, and we will be right back. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, George, right before the break, we were talking about social recruiting, and you have some fantastic suggestions for people who are looking for jobs in terms of how to leverage social media. Um, so let's turn that um, to the other side of the table and focus again on recruiters. Um, what does it mean for recruiters? Um, do they have to change their strategy in terms of how to assess um, candidates? So the biggest opportunity for recruiters is you don't have to wait to see who applies for your job. You can start to do searches, particularly on LinkedIn, which is well set up for this, but on other sites as well, and find people who are really good in the field you want who may not be immediately looking for a job, but if you come to them with the right proposition, you can then see who's willing to switch uh, either for more responsibility or more pay or a a more pleasant working environment or uh, a chance to be part of some historic and great projects. So I think this has really been exciting for recruiters, and the ones who make the most of it say it's, it's a whole new world. Instead of being able to see only the people who are unhappy or frustrated or out of work, now you're able to tap into the people who um, are high achievers already but could do even more for you. And we've gone from a world where you know, having your resume up on LinkedIn was seen as being a little bit traitorous to your employer to one where it's just seen as everyday life and um, screen the available pool. So I think that's been very exciting for recruiters that they're seeing the whole breadth of candidates. In some cases, in particularly computer coding, uh, you can see so much of people's work online that there's a saying that if you're participating in an open source site like GitHub, what you post there is your resume. Mm. That people don't need to know where you went to school or how many years you've worked in the field. They can look line by line at your code and go, that person knows how to code. Or, oh my God, that's a mess. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many years they've been writing code like that, they're not going to write it for us. And I think there will be more fields too. I mean, in, in some of the performing fields, uh, music, broadcast, you can 
um, see people's work. I mean, the um, resolution on YouTube videos is now getting good enough that you can judge athletes to a degree by uh, what their sports clips look like. So I think this is a, a new horizon that's coming for all of us where, in essence, we're always in the job market. We're always on display, and hopefully we do a better job of getting the jobs we want and employers do a better job of getting the people who can do the most for them. Yeah, and I suppose that's also an advantage for a small business, too, who tend to have a hard time competing for great talent with large companies. Um, are there other things that they can do besides social media? So uh, one of the simplest areas where I think small businesses have an edge is the campus job fair. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a really big company, hiring isn't directly going to happen at that job fair. What's going to happen is you're going to tell people, send in your resumes, and because of various employment law issues, you can't even make very much in the way of notes on candidates. So all the work that you know a, a giant Fortune 50 company puts in at job fair has to be repeated from square one when it, candidates finally do send in their resumes. If you're a smaller company you can find that candidate right there. If they impress you, you know, you can say, come on, visit us at headquarters tomorrow or next week. We can get you a job offer within a week, and that ability to move quickly and decisively makes a big difference. I was at um, UC Davis a couple months ago watching one of their job fairs, and I was impressed at how much more agile the, the little companies were. Uh, they've also got a more appealing story that you get a chance to do a bit of everything. Uh, you can try sales, you can try marketing, you can try finance. If you speak a foreign language, you'll probably be on the phone using it. And that sense of being very compartmentalized in a big company and being able to work in only a very limited arena, that's not an issue when you're at a small company. You'll get to do it all. So uh, I'd say make the most of agility and speed and the nimbleness that comes with being small. Uh, and also realize that social media is a great equalizer, that uh, you know, the same web page is served up to you or to ExxonMobil, and you have the ability to make the most of that candidate. Yeah, and I think some of the characters um, that you mentioned, characteristics of small business like you described, could actually be very attractive to um, Generation Y. Um, so that could be an advantage for small business as well. Um, so now let's talk about executive recruiting. Um, the stakes are really high there. Um, are there other qualities that companies should look for in addition to what we have already talked about? So we talked earlier about the importance of hiring for the right job and really understanding your job. I think you you were very good about underscoring that. And that's doubly true when you look at the top job, that if I look at CEO searches or searches for managing directors, superintendents, top uh, management positions, the ones that go off course usually go because the board and the search committee is spending too much time trying to find someone who looks impressive in the boardroom but who may not have the operational skills or the diligence or the the dedication to follow through. There are a lot of people who can deliver wonderful half-hour pitches in a boardroom and make you think that they know how to transform your organization for the next 10 years. But in many cases, they don't really back it up. They don't want to work the long hours or they don't have the ability to build winning teams, and they're a whiteboard leader. That's That's the extent of what they've got. And I think that um, kind of you also had a good quote related to that is that great talent is no substitute for the right talent. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the thinking behind that? Yeah. And, uh, again, we, we come back to the sense of you, you you need to hire people with the skills that are needed. I spend a little bit of time on Harvard's example. They um, picked one of the best economists of our generation, Larry Summers, to be their president. Larry Summers is a brilliant guy. 
but he's not a diplomat. I mean, he's an assertive, aggressive guy. He's got a point of view. He's often the smartest person in the room, and he lets you know that. And if you're going to be a university president, so much of your job is about diplomacy. It's about getting different factions on the faculty to agree. It's about calming down the alumni. It's about sorting out whatever uh, troubles have hit the campus. And um, someone with Summers' temperament was just too abrasive, too confrontational, and he only lasted four years. So um, making sure that you've got the right talent and not just someone who's gifted in areas that you don't need is crucial. Yeah, so kind of going back to what we're saying, you know, it's not just to get to know the candidates, but before we know that, before we do that, you actually have to really get to know yourself, right, better. And like, you know, what what are you looking for and what's really right for you? Um, so over the course of your career, you have um, had a lot of opportunity to talk with many of the world's most respected leaders. What are some of the changes, if any, that you notice in terms of qualities and skills that companies are looking for in new leaders or new hires today? So multitasking is crucial. I mean, we, we now live in a world where you're in all sorts of different arenas, uh, where you're uh, always on. I mean, you know, first the BlackBerry and now the iPhone. There's really no reason you're ever away from work. Right. So you need people who can go the distance, who have that level of stamina. And that's always been important, but I think it's doubly important now. Um, you know, ability to operate in different cultures, mm. and certainly that's true internationally. I think it's also true domestically that your your customers may, you know, span a very wide range of socioeconomic positions, different age groups, and how you connect with customers in their teens and customers in their fifties or sixties is very different. And you need someone who can move within these different orbits. That you can't just be the um, the boss in the three-piece suit, you need to be uh, effective at a lot of different levels. Very well said. Um, and more and more companies are also focusing on innovation, which you know is becoming a kind of key cornerstone for um, competitiveness. People who are innovative and exceptional often do things very differently, and they have very diverse experiences. But if you look at job postings out there, um, most of them are looking for candidates who have been in the same industry and have done the same thing for many years. Is there a mismatch here? And um, what do you think companies have to do to align the action with their goal of finding exceptional talent? That's a really good point. I think companies just need the courage to um, to know when a little bit of um, experience and context from outside the industry is more valuable than someone who's done the same thing all the time. I think companies are most willing to make those changes when it's painfully clear that what they've done hasn't worked. And when do companies look outside for CEOs? It's usually when they've had troubled performance. So in a way, you're asking someone to be a turnaround specialist to bring expertise from other areas that can then help you get back on track. But I think healthy companies should try that too. That uh, you know, hybridization works well for plants, bringing in new genes, and I think it works well for organizations too, bringing in new people with new ideas. Yeah, so I think you know, to find exceptional talent, you also have to be an exceptional recruiter and talent scouts, don't you? You have to be open-minded. Yep, definitely. You have to be willing to try different things than what worked before. Uh, I think the what also struck me about the very best scouts is they were they were relaxed about their job, and they weren't lazy. They they worked very hard. But there wasn't this dread of, I might make a mistake and then I'm going to be in trouble. Mm. I think if you spend your whole time making decisions, trying not to make a mistake, you um, you never do anything right. Mm. <laughs> you're you're always sort of playing very cautiously and you're 
you're missing the big opportunities because you're too fearful of breaking away from the pack. The the people that made it in my book with prominence are ones who were very comfortable operating away from the pack because they felt they had seen something the rest of the world hadn't, and they were quite comfortable pursuing it to a, a different and unique outcome. Mm. So we have about a minute left. Um, it, uh, are there any other suggestions that you would give to um, recruiters who are looking for a great talent? You know, it's um, dare to ask what can go right. I mean, it's, so much of recruiting is a select-out system. If you start with, you know, 100 candidates, you narrow it down to 15 semifinalists, you kick out 11 of them, and then you have four finalists. And uh, you need sometimes a willingness to uh, look for the people who have something distinctive and exciting about them rather than just trying to find the candidate with the fewest flaws. Uh, one of the things I loved at Google was their willingness to read resumes upside down, and it's a way of looking at people's extracurriculars, their hobbies, their unusual lifetime achievements. And once you're looking at a pool of people who are all pretty competent, and most big searches, you know, by the time you get to your semifinalists and your finalists, they're all, at some level, they could all do the job. You just need to find the person who's uniquely right for you. And I would encourage people to, uh, every now and then, read a resume upside down, see what else there is about that person that hints this really could be an extraordinary person for you and not just someone who has fewer flaws than anyone else. And that reminds me of the great key to leadership as well. Look, instead of looking um, at other people's weaknesses, actually look for their potential. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that sums up um, for our discussion here. And um, I wanted to also congratulate you on your launch of another great book um, this week. I'm very excited for you. and want to wish you all the good luck and all the best luck with that. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks. It was a great pleasure. The new book is Becoming a Rare Find, and I very much enjoyed being on the show. Thank you. So we have to take another break. Please stay tuned for another um, you know, second half of the show. Um, we will be talking about how to look for great talent for global leadership. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. You're listening to Business Reinvention on Voice America. We are talking with experts about how to find great talent. Joining us today for the first, um, excuse me, the second half of the show is Joy McGarvin. She is the head of client services at Najafi Global Mindset Institute at Thunderbird Graduate School of International Management, which is the world's number one ranked school of international business. Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great having you here. Um, we all know that hiring the right people is one of the most important jobs of the leader, and yet this is um, very often um, left out on the job descriptions that managers get, and most leaders actually don't get um, training um, on how to look for a great talent. Um, what are the costs of bad hiring decisions? To actually come up with a figure is, act- is spurious because, in fact, the 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 cost varies greatly depending upon um, the level of the organization that you're talking about and the actual organization and what the pay scale is. Mm. Um, but what I can do is talk a little bit about some of the variables that enter into the, that equation. One would be the cost of recruiting and interviewing time. Mm-hmm. Another would be um, the cost of orienting and training, and along with that, um, the cost of the learning curve. In other words, for most jobs, it takes people at least three to six months to get up to speed. The cost of demoralizing the workforce if, in fact, you have to exit this person from the organization. The opportunity cost, and finally, the replacement costs. Yeah, so they really add up. And not to yeah. mention, if you're talking about executive positions, there's going to be a huge severance pay right, to the, um, to the um, I guess, the departing um, um, executive. So it could exactly. be really, really huge, actually. Um, but some companies are starting to address this. Um, what are some of the things that they do to help their employees develop skills to interview and assess candidates based on their behaviors? Okay, well, many organizations offer training, but most leaders don't see the need of it, need for it because they believe that they are intuitively able to identify talent. Mm-hmm. Further, many leaders still think of technical skills as a sine qua non as if someone is qualified for a job rather than the so-called softer skills, which are the management skills, failing to realize that, in fact, there's a scientific basis be- behind leadership. Right, um, so and that is that EQ is actually more important than technical skills to the successful leader, right? Yes, particularly in terms of motivating the workforce. Mm-hmm. So the strategy that I've seen is most successful is um, – either training people rigorously in terms of how they do performance evaluation or using them as assessors in assessment centers. Assessment centers are a day in the life of a, of a typical executive and usually consists of a two to two and a half days of exercises that potential candidates um, go through in order to identify what their strengths and weaknesses are. In order to act as an assessor, 
you actually have to identify what are the actual behaviors that fit under things like leadership, interpersonal skills, organizing and planning, decision-making. So what behaviors does the person actually show? And then you have to um, help the organization come to a shared consciousness about those definitions. Once that happens, people are very able to identify talent. That sounds like a really great way to um, to train the employees to get better at it. Um, and the other thing is that international markets have outpaced the U.S. economic growth for the last decade or so. Do you think companies are ready to capture those uh, opportunities in terms of their bench strength? I think that they realize, I think they're becoming more and more aware of the fact that this is an issue. But, it, you know, it's a huge challenge because the challenge is finding global leaders who have the skills to influence individuals, groups, and organizations, both inside and outside the firm, which means people over whom they may have direct authority and those over whom they do not, which calls for a wide repertoire of influencing styles, which many people have not developed. Secondly, um, these people are, will be representing diverse cultural, political, institutional systems, vastly different values, especially noticeable um, from the Western world to the Eastern world. That, in particular, um, seems to be the most difficult transition that people have to make. And then finally, this is all under conditions of rapid change and high uncertainty, which means stress, which means that any derailers or weak spots the leader may have are much more likely to manifest themselves. Hmm. Well, so it sounds like a lot more challenging and complex. Um, exactly. Than, yeah, than a typical recruit. Um, what are some of the most common mistakes companies make in selecting candidates for international assignments? Just not taking it seriously enough, just not looking at, um, w- realizing that this is a much more complex, as you said, much more difficult role, and that consequently they need to take a lot more care in choosing those people for um, those assignments. It's not just a matter of choosing somebody for any role. It's a matter of choosing somebody for a role that is really difficult and that many people are not prepared for. So what is Thunderbird doing to help companies select and develop candidates for global assignments? Well, we have an instrument which we call the Global Mindset Inventory, which looks at um, a person's ability or, pre- uh, or predisposition to be successful in managing people in global roles um, and in different cultures, regardless of what those cultures might be. Um, This is a 10-minute Internet-based instrument, which gives you a score in terms of your intellectual capital or what you know, because you need to know a lot of things in order to manage a global workforce, your psychological capital or your passion or motivation um, to deal with people who are very different from you, and your social capital, which is your ability to engender trust in people who are very different from you. And so it sounds like it covers um, a lot more than the typical um, leadership assessment. It does. address the challenges that comes with a global assignment. It was specifically designed with an international audience in mind. So um, when it was developed, it was developed with people from 62 countries. So it's not an American um, instrument that has been um, transported to other parts of the world. It's an instrument that was made, um, that was created with the idea of being able to deal with people from multiple parts of the world. In fact, you have... 
conducted over 10,000 surveys um, to assess employees around the world in terms of their global mindset. Um, what have you found um, to be the biggest gaps in terms of leadership capacity needed for global leadership? Actually, at this point, we've done over 13,000, right. and we found um, two things to be at the lower end. One of them is global business savvy, which is actually your knowledge of global industry, of competitive business, and marketing strategies of how to transact business and assess risks of doing business internationally and of supplier options in other parts of the world. Think about the fact that in order to have this particular, to have this global business savvy, you really need to have had some experience. Um, and then the second thing is interpersonal impact, which is your experience in negotiating contracts, agreements in other cultures, a strong net- networks with people from other cultures and with influential people, and your reputation as a leader. And actually, when, when I talk about negotiating contracts and agreements, one of the things you should think about is um, a situation where a country manager is in charge of a particular country that is not the home country of the organization. And so that person really has to navigate between two worlds, two different perspectives. So what can companies do about this? I mean, what can they do to help develop the skills in these particular areas that you just mentioned? Um, there's a lot of things that they can do. Um, first of all, I think it is really important that people have a, um, or that organizations have a global talent management strategy. Um, let me give you an example of that. A company that identifies and develops high potentials early in their career and then systematically puts them through opportunities to move through a series of positions in which the people they are managing are different from them. But they start with people that are not that different from them and then move to situations where people are very different from them. So they might, for example, if someone, if a company was based in the Northeast or if a person was based in the Northeast, they might move them to the Deep South as their first um, assignment of dealing with people that are different from them. From there, they might move them to the U.K. or Canada or another English-speaking country. From there, they might move them to Western Europe, and then from there to either the Middle East or to um, Asia Pacific. Uh, Other things, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, There's a a variety of other things they can do, too. Um, Developing clear success factors for what it takes to be successful in a particular job. Um, having high potential pools at different levels of the organization where they actually prepare systematically people for global roles, um, having a development plan for each one of these high potentials, and then providing them with a variety of learning options, ranging from on-the-job learning um, to assignments to training to cultural language training for specific assignments to immersion experiences to on-the-job discussions to new leader coaching, mentoring, to debrief before and after assignments so that they can learn from um, what, what's been done well and what hasn't been done as well. Well, I love the first example that you gave. I think it was really creative how they could just kind of slowly increase the level of challenge um, yes. for those people and then kind of having them slowly get used to um, adapt to diversity. Um, but it also sounds um, in both cases that long-term planning is really important because the capacities that you're talking about is not something you can develop overnight, and it's a lot more complex and challenging than domestic excitement, as we mentioned earlier. Exactly. 
Wow. So um, we have a lot more to talk about, but it looks like we have to take another break. Um, you're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Please stay tuned, and we will be right back after a short break. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Welcome back. You're listening to Business Reinvention. Um, so before the break, um, you gave some really great suggestions and um, examples of how companies are developing their uh, employees for um, their readiness for global assignments. Um, we also have been hearing a lot about talent work. How bad is it? About I'm sorry about uh, um, I didn't the talent war out there. Um, how bad it is? There's definitely a talent shortage in there. In fact, uh, I'm currently at a conference, and one of the things that I was hearing today was this isn't true not only in the U.S. but particularly true in the emerging markets: um, Brazil, China, India, uh, Russia, um, where there just is not the talent there that needs to be there. And there's a lot less experience in terms of managing and leading people um, in a corporate environment or in a company environment than there is in uh, the U.S. So are you seeing um, kind of expansion of development programs um, within large companies in terms of getting people ready for global assignments? Slowly but surely, I'm seeing companies recognize that this is a real issue and actually putting in place some um, pretty pretty sophisticated things in order to identify talent and in order to help them develop. Um, I, I mentioned before assessment centers, 
and this is actually one of the best ways of identifying who are those people who are primed for um, global roles. Um, and actually, what's interesting when you, as I said, an assessment center is a, a mixture of simulations, of interviews, of psychological testing that actually gives you a comprehensive picture of a person's strengths and developmental areas. And it, it's typically framed around the day of a life of an, an executive. And one of the companies that I was working with um, really over the last several years has, um, in one of their simulation exercises, has demonstrated the naivete um, of people in dealing with people from other parts of the world. Um, and let me, let me give you an, a specific example of that. Um, over the last five years, in almost every time, we have observed exercises where executives are going through um, a leaderless group discussion, which is a situation in which each person has a particular perspective they're supposed to uphold, but they're also supposed to be very collaborative in their decision-making. Inevitably, what will happen is that as the time period gets shorter, usually these exercises last for an hour, and in about 45 minutes, um, if the people specifically usually from Asia Pacific have not been forthcoming in terms of talking about what their position is, a Western European or American male will get up and will literally snatch the paper that a person has in terms of what they're supposed to be standing for and read it out loud to the group. Now, now the irony of this is that these people are also being assessed for their interpersonal skills. But there is such a task orientation that prevails in Western Europe and in the U.S. that um, they don't give people the opportunity to be supported, to motivate them to want to speak, to ask the right questions. They just want to get the task done. Wow, so I think it just underscores how important it is um, yes. and how challenging it is actually to get people ready for global, um, you know, leadership. And I think it's not just about learning how to work globally, but it's also learning how to adapt to diversity in a very dynamic world. And that is what companies really need in new leadership and namely the ability to handle complexity, ambiguity, and the ability to develop creativity. And exactly. that kind of all accentuates, you know, um, by the way of kind of focusing on global assignment because that kind of usually encompasses everything that we mentioned. Yeah, it's really a, a really the importance of understanding that the values that people hold in different countries are not the same. They may be very, very different. And thus, in, in one culture, it's appropriate to speak up. And in another culture, it's not appropriate to speak up. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand those differences, you tend not to be judging your talent appropriately. So it really requires um, even higher level of EQ. Oh, yeah, for sure. sensitivity and awareness. For sure. To be successful in a global um, market. Yes. And one of the areas that you look at when evaluating um, someone's um, global mindset is the psychological dimension. Is it possible to change someone's disposition if they're not naturally passionate about diversity or adventure? It's possible to do it. It's much more difficult than it is to um, change or develop their intellectual capital or their social capital. Um, typically, our experience has been that in order to change somebody's psychological capital, they first of all, they really need to want to do it. They really need to want to develop a passion for diversity, a quest for adventure, and self-assurance. If, if they don't have that motivation, it probably isn't going to work. 
And secondly, it's probably going to require some coaching or mentoring on an individual level to actually give the person feedback on, okay, these are some things that I saw you doing or these are some things that you said or these are some things that, uh, that it seems as if you're thinking um, that really need to change if you really want to develop your psychological capital. Mm-hmm. The psychological capital is all about your real interest in and motivation for um, doing business internationally. If you don't have that, it's pretty hard to, to, um, to develop it. However, sometimes people can be reached through their, if they have high intellectual capital, they, if they understand how important it is, that can give them the motivation to want to change. Mm. But again, I think that underscores the importance of assessment because then it kind of helps you identify people who have really high level, um, I guess, psychological readiness um, for the global challenges. Yeah, definitely. And so what do you think companies should do more of to get ready for opportunities and challenges associated with globalization? I think that they just need to have a comprehensive system of preparing people for global roles. You know, from from um, when they first hire those people at, at the um, junior levels of the organization where they're hiring in high potentials. At that particular point in time, I think it would be important to assess their global mindset, to get some idea of who are those people that have a natural predisposition to succeed in these kinds of roles, and then to systematically develop them if, if they might be low in one or two areas. Um, similarly, there may be some highly talented people who don't have this naturally, but who could be developed over time. So I think the earlier in a person's career um, that they can be assessed for this, the better. So again, long-term planning and a long-term view is really important. Um, yes. And so that looks like um, that's all the time we have for today. So Joy, I want to thank you for being with us this afternoon. It was a pleasure to talk to you. It's great having you. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Well, until listeners, I hope you have found some really great tips for your next talent search. And remember to ask your candidates why and how and not just what and when. For more innovative ideas and business trends, go to bizreinvention.com or follow me on Twitter at bizreinvention. Please join me again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific time for another great show. Thank you for listening to Business Reinvention on Voice America. Enjoy the rest of your week. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week.